never fall. We are going to be reading today from 2 Peter, and so I will invite you to open your Bibles or your Bible apps. We're going to be bouncing around a lot in that book, and I'll talk more about that in a moment. But to, to begin with, let's just read through the key passage here that I've got shown on the screen. Um, <clears throat> Second Peter chapter 1, and we'll be reading verses 4 through 10. Through these, and he's talking about some promises that God has given us, through these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world on account of lust. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they do not make you useless or unproductive in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the one who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choice of you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Many translations there say, you will never fall. Heavenly Father, thank you for the things that you wrote to us through Peter. I pray that you will open our eyes and our ears and our minds and our hearts this morning to hear your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I've been eyeing Second Peter for several weeks, but couldn't really think how to craft a sermon around what I was thinking. But then last week, Christian Vargas was up here, and he gave me an idea. Uh, you may recall Christian talked about uh, various types of maps when he was uh, planning a hike for his youth. And in particular, I think the overview map caught my my attention because nowadays a lot of people when they go hiking they navigate by GPS and which which works fine they usually find their way in and back out with the GPS but if you're not careful when you're hiking with a GPS it can it can lead you to to just hike with your head down you know same way you drive with a GPS you, you have no idea where you are at any point in time you just know that you'll get there and you'll get back um, I'm an old school map and compass guy. I like to have the big map. I uh, study it before I go. I have it where I can get to it. I like to be able to know the details of the terrain, but also in their larger context, so I know where I can bail out if something goes wrong, and on and on and on. Uh, th that overview is, is frequently a very valuable thing. Um, it also, when you have a big map, I'm not limited just to hiking trails because I can look at the trails and then I can see this looks interesting over here and it looks like I could walk that and I can get off trail I don't have to follow what someone else has put together for me so that overview map thing gave me some ideas about how to approach the topic I was thinking about but couldn't assemble too often I think we approach 
or our approach to the scriptures themselves are limited to a GPS style approach. We dive in at the top of a book, we go verse by verse by verse, we look at the meaning of the words, you know, we just we just move right through. And no one here is probably more guilty of that than me. Just ask my life group. Um, but sometimes we need to back away and we need that big map. We need to look at the overview approach. Uh, and instead of just focusing on the minutiae, which can cause us to miss the context, to miss or to, to rely too heavily on what someone else has has uh, said before because all the commentaries do the same thing. They go through verse by verse. Um, it's valuable. So thank you, Christian, for the idea. Um, Christian gave us a sort of an overview approach to, to looking at First Peter. In particular, he was in chapter 3. If you remember, he talked about how to live as Christians in a society where we're facing suffering. He talked about loving our enemies because we're called to it and because we expect an inheritance. He talked about expecting unjust suffering and learning to suffer well. And he talked about holding on to the hope that we have in the resurrection of Christ and being always ready to have an answer to someone who asks about that hope. So that was his, his overview. And in summary, First Peter, if you take the whole book and you back up to that big overview map level, First Peter is about rejoicing hope in the face of suffering. Well, Second Peter is about a different subject, but it comes across very similarly. Second Peter is about faithful truth in the face of falsehood. And that's what uh, I want to talk about this morning, faithful truth in the face of, of falsehood. Um, the falsehood that Peter will speak about, that we'll look at today, is it's everywhere. It's in the world, but more significantly, it has crept into the body, into the church. He makes that point. And uh, elsewhere, you get that point even more, um, with, with more emphasis. The, uh, the book of Second Peter is, in fact, very, very similar to the book of Jude, if you've ever studied the book of Jude. Jude is one of my favorite books, at least one of my favorite books to teach. Jude covers a lot of other wild stuff, but it's very, very similar to Second uh, Peter. In fact, if we'll go to the next slide, you, it's, it's worth your while. I know you can't read that, and that's good, because I don't want you to read it. It's worth your while to map out Second Peter and Jude in parallel. See how they, they talk about very, very similar things. That's half of it right there. I did that for myself 15 or 20 years ago. Um, so occasionally this morning I will allude to what Jude says because it adds a little bit of nuance to what Peter says. Um, so uh, when, when, uh, when, when Peter in this book talks about falsehood, uh, he's focusing on one aspect of how we deal with that. It's not everything there is to say about dealing with falsehood and false teachers. So he's got a fairly narrow focus, but we're going to look at it from a broad overview. Um, Jude, as I've mentioned, Paul and Jesus himself all have more to say about dealing with falsehood, and we will mention them occasionally as we go, but mostly we're going to focus on what Peter has to say. Now let's talk about Peter's approach in, in the book of Second Peter. We all are familiar probably with Peter and his personality. Um, 
He was a little bit uh, impulsive. Uh, he had, as most people like to say, he, he had foot and mouth disease quite often. Uh, he didn't think things through before he began to talk. And uh, in some sense, that's, that aspect of his personality shows up in his writings. Um, when, uh, <clears throat> when I thought about this, I, there's, there's really sort of three categories of people when it comes to speaking. Uh, there are those, there, there's the person who, when, when something comes out of his mouth, you can tell it has been very well thought through. Uh, it was up here for a good while before it came out of their mouth, um, and it's easy to understand, easy to follow, and so forth. Uh, the second category of people are those who think things through, but when something comes out of their mouth, it's clear that there was a breakdown between here and here, you know. Uh, the, there's a filter that should have been there that was out of place, or, or maybe there was a lot going on, on up here, and when it came time to talk, they reached in and grabbed a thought out of the middle and threw it out, and it, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. They should have started at another thought, you know, and worked through it. And I think most of us probably fall into that second category a lot of the time, or at least at some level. And I would include Peter in there, especially in Second Peter. That's sort of the way he approaches this. He's just, in some ways, he's throwing it out, and that's why it's best to back up and look at the whole thing together. Um, for what it's worth, I think there's a third category of person. Uh, when something comes out of his mouth, that's the first the brain has heard of it, you know. And... <laughs> Peter, Peter dabbled in that himself, but uh, I don't think he did that so much in, in 2 Peter. So uh, as, we, as we look at 2 Peter, we sort of expect one thing, but the, it almost is a scatterbrained approach the way he's organized it. You sort of expect that he'll give you a salutation as he introduces the book, and he'll tell you why he's writing, and then he'll put together his argument, and he'll give you his conclusion. And that's not the way it comes to us. He, he gives us his salutation, and then he immediately gives us his conclusion, which we just read. Uh, and then he starts doing the rest of those things. And we will jump around as we try to, to catch all this. So let's talk about the problem he's addressing. He hasn't told us what that is yet. <laughs> he gave us his conclusion, but he hasn't told us why he's writing. Um, he doesn't actually... Uh, tell us that until chapter 3. So flip your Bible over to chapter 3, verse 1, and let's find out why he wrote this letter. Chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Beloved, this is now the second letter I'm writing to you, in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of a reminder. So first of all, he says, You know all this. I'm just reminding you. There's nothing new here. Now if you'll jump to verse 3, he says, Know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue just as they were from the very beginning of creation. So, he, his points here, why is he writing? He points out that in, as the last days approach, and what are the last days? I think they probably began in his time and they've continued to now, and eventually it will, there will be a, a, uh, a final day 
when, when God brings everything to a close. But as these days approach, he says these false teachers, also called mockers, also called scoffers, uh, will proliferate. They will become more and more prevalent in the world and in the church. Um, he, he's not the only one who talks about these. Paul, uh, we won't go to these verses, but in 2 Timothy 3, Paul says, Realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, slanderers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and it literally goes on for five more verses describing these people. So these men also oppose the truth. They're false teachers. Um, Paul talks about them. He, he refers to them a few verses later as imposters. They will claim to be teaching truth, even claim to be teaching truth out of God's word, but they're not. They're false teachers. And so Peter is reminding them, I'm, I'm writing to you because there are false teachers. And I think this is directly relevant to us today, and we'll talk about that more in a minute. So he also says, back, back to 2 Peter 3, verse 3 and 4, he tells us that their doctrines will be crafted to feed their worldly lusts. As he said there, they are following after their own lusts. There's, there's a, a reason behind the, the misinformation that they're putting forward. And he says their doctrines will mock the promise of Jesus' return. Uh, and there's a reason for that, too, that we'll talk about in a moment. They don't like the notion that Jesus is coming back because that implies judgment for them. Um, so th he, he will make some other points about these false teachers, these mockers, these uh, um, scoffers. And, uh, and so let's look at them because they're sort of out of order. We'll jump back now with me to Second Peter chapter 2 and the first verse. And Peter says, and he's referring now, he's, we'll, we'll talk about what he said just before this in a moment, but he's talking about Old Testament prophets. He says, uh, uh, but prophets, the false prophets, also appeared among the people in addition to the real prophets. Just as there will also be false teachers among you. So just like it happened then, it will happen in the future. He says they will come and they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. So these false teachers, false doctrines, first of all, they will be introduced craftily, he says. They will secretly introduce these things. They don't, when you first hear them, they sound pretty good. And if you go to the book of Jude, he, he's even more pointed about it. He says their very presence in the body, as Peter said, they will be among you. Jude tells us that their very presence there uh, happened kind of under the radar. Uh, this is in, in uh, Jude verse 4. He says, for certain people, certain people have crept in unnoticed. So we don't even notice they're there. You might be sitting next to one. Uh, and that's, that's meant to be a little bit funny, but not a lot. Not a lot. Be careful. Be careful. Um, 
their false doctrines will eventually deny the gospel of Jesus Christ altogether. So, I don't know if you have noticed it yet, but you should catch pretty soon here that uh, this is very relevant to today. Uh, when Peter was talking to the, to the believers back then, the last days included us. And I think if you look, look around today in our world, um, we see sexual immorality of every kind, stuff that we hadn't even thought about before, or I hadn't. We see denial of simple facts and biology and so forth to, to further these uh, kinds of immorality. We see um, abuses of God's Word, where people literally quote the Word of God to prove a point antithetical to what the Word actually says. And uh, it's those of us who are knowledgeable about the word it's immediately uh, crazy but to many people it sounds it sounds pretty good when it first comes out and on and on and on and the 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 worst part about that is many of those things today uh, are being adopted by churches even put into their doctrines it's happening all around us it's happening everywhere and so this is very relevant to us today, and the, and the immediate question is, how do we combat it? How do we deal with that? Well, that's what Peter is writing about in Second Peter. So, let's look at his argument, which again is a little bit bouncing around, so have your Bibles ready as we go. And one of the first points he makes, I say first point, uh, well, forget the order. One of the first points is that our understanding of truth is based on solid Old Testament prophecy, which nonetheless had to be sorted out from false prophecy. And he said that, if you go with me back into chapter 1, let's look at verse 19 first, uh, just before what we just read in the first part of, of the second chapter. He says, and so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. We have the prophetic word which is made more sure. What he's referring to there, that, that word more, more sure is a Greek word that means stable, fast, firm, sound, sure. Uh, you look at elsewhere in the New Testament, where that word is used, it gets translated in various ways, like guaranteed, firmly grounded, unalterable, reliable, certain. So he looks at the Old Testament prophecies as very solid and very certain, all but proved. And what he's referring to was his experience standing with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. So let's back up a few more verses and look at, uh, at verse 16, at what he was really talking about when he says these Old Testament prophecies were made sure to us. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such a declaration as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this declaration made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. 
So Peter, James, and John were up there when, when Jesus went up and, and he became bright and shiny and God spoke from the heavens directly to Jesus in their presence and they heard it. And so he, he heard, I don't know what all he heard about prophecy while he was up there, but at least two of the things that he felt like were confirmed to him were the power of Christ and the coming of Christ. You see that in verse 16. The power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the coming that he's talking about can only be the second coming because the first one's already happened. He's standing there with him. But there's still a prophecy yet to come. And so having seen that, Peter spent three years walking around in ministry with Jesus. He knew him very well. He heard God the Father speak to Jesus out of heaven. He knows him very well and he says, that was affirmation to me that the things that I heard in the Old Testament were truth. And that's one of the things that helped him sort out the false prophets from the true prophets. Um, <clears throat> because as firm as they are, there were still some false prophets uh, to work with. And what he's telling us is, in the same way that that happened as the Old Testament scriptures were being laid down, there were false scriptures coming out as well. The same thing will happen in New Testament times. Uh, there will be false teachers. They'll be among you. And you're going to have to sort things out. You're going to have to be able to figure out who's right, who's wrong. Uh, what did God say and what didn't he say and so forth. And that, of course, we've already read it. Let's read chapter 2, verse 1 again. He says, uh, false prophets also appeared among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. Um, <clears throat> okay, a few important points. Uh, and these we're picking these up from Peter in various places. First of all, the New Testament writings are God-given just like the Old Testament writings were. He makes that point. Look at chapter 3, verse 15 with me. And we'll read 15 and 16 together. We're jumping in the middle. Uh, so we'll start reading, which in my Bible starts at a semicolon. I'm skipping the first part of verse 15. He says, Just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which there are some things that are hard to understand which the untaught and the unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures, to their own destruction. So there's an awful lot in those two verses. I think there's at least a master's level thesis in those two verses. Uh, we're going to bounce across the top and just look at a couple of the high points. Um, first of all, notice that Peter puts Paul's writings on the same plane as the rest of the scriptures. He declares to us that the writings that you've seen from Paul are scriptures just like the Old Testament writings that the Jews have revered for all these years. This is Peter who knew Jesus, ministered with him for three years, walked on water with him, heard the Father speak from heaven to him directly. And he's telling you and me, you can trust what Paul wrote. So we have a very sure, a more sure set of scriptures that came after the Jewish scriptures were, were laid down. 
So that's the first point. The second point is he makes the point about people he calls here untaught and unstable teachers. And the untaught and unstable teachers do what with Paul's writings? They distort them. Uh, he's back to the false, false teachers again. If, if you've ever looked into these things, uh, people who like to distort the Scriptures detest Paul's writings because Paul won't leave them alone, alone about their immorality. They also detest John because John is crystal clear, more so than the other uh, Gospels, about the deity of Christ, and they don't like that. And so when you hear a teacher dissing one of the writers of the Bible, you, you know they've got an agenda somewhere. And these are the untaught and unstable teachers who distort the Scriptures. And then finally, in this verse, the very last phrase, Peter offers us some assurance that these false teachers will be judged. Tail end of verse 16. He, they do all this to their own destruction. They are going to be judged for what they're doing. And uh, we've already read that once. If you remember back in chapter 2, verse 1, what's the very last phrase there? Bringing swift destruction upon themselves. So you're beginning to catch, if you bounce around with Peter through here, uh, one of the ways we deal with uh, false teachers is we don't have to punish them. <laughs> we don't have to deal with them. God's going to do that. Don't worry about that, is kind of what he's saying. That's going to happen. And he, and he goes into a lot more detail as he goes. He tells us that when God says he'll, he will judge, you can count on it, he's going to judge. Don't worry. Uh, if you look at, at chapter 2 again, uh, beginning in verse 4 and going through verse 8, he offers two examples to us of how God has judged people in the past. He talks about the angels that sinned. And here's where, if you're on a GPS approach to the Scriptures, you will get very sidetracked here. Who are these angels that sinned, and what do they have to do with Noah? And uh, if you've been in any of my classes, you know I'm more than happy to dive into all that and have, have fun with it. But don't right now. He's using this as an example. The angels that sinned, and they're chained up right now in Hades awaiting judgment. And that's a picture. He, he uses these as examples in principle of what's going to become of these false teachers. The judgment is sure. Just like those guys, those angels are, are chained away now, uh, it's, a, it's a done deal. Judgment is coming. And then he also talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. And we all are probably familiar with the judgment that God brought on those sinful cities, fire from heaven, and so forth. When God says He will judge, you can count on it. And He assures us that these false teachers will likewise be judged. Um, look, at, uh, look at chapter 2, verse 3. He's talking about them still. And and second half of that verse says, Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. God hasn't forgotten. It's there. It's coming. Don't worry. They will not defeat you they will be defeated verse 9 chapter 2 verse 9 he says it again the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from a trial and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment so don't worry 
And then after verse 9, going on for a dozen verses, he describes these false teachers, uh, gives, gives a, a long list of interesting descriptions of them. And uh, it's, it's, I happen to know from having taught through the book of Jude that if you want to, you can spend several hours going through that, talking about uh, the description of these false teachers, these apostates. And we won't do that. Um, but, but Peter puts them out there, gives us all these ways to, to recognize them. What are they like? How are they going to behave? How are they going to teach? And so forth. So it's all there. Um, and he, fi- he actually finishes up after a dozen verses of that. He refers to them as dogs returning to vomit and as washed pigs returning to the mud, to wallow in the mud. Um, and so the, that's another picture of the fact that these guys are among us. They, they presented themselves appearing in every way to be believers, and yet they, they weren't really in their heart, and they've turned away. They've gone back. Um, so we're told how to recognize them, and we're assured that God will judge them. Um, and the, the next point that Peter makes kind of continues that theme if you'll look with me in uh, chapter 3 beginning in verse 5 we'll look at 5 through 7 and Peter makes the point that these these false teachers willingness to ignore certain scriptures is is exactly what sets them up for that judgment and uh, and he's gonna well let's let's read into it and and the first the first sentence here we'll pause on uh, chapter 3 verse 5 for when they maintain this it escapes their notice now the, the New American Standard translates that in different wording than nearly or maybe every other English translation I don't know why everybody else makes it clearer they say these people are willingly ignorant of certain things or they say they deliberately overlook certain things Something along those lines. That's what these false teachers do. They deliberately overlook that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed by being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly people. So what, what these people are overlooking on purpose, what they're ignoring in the Scriptures, are that God created the world. That's pretty important. He judged it once with the flood, and He's going to judge it again with fire. And you don't still want to be here when the fire comes. And so they don't like those things, and they deliberately ignore them. And their willingness... Their willing blindness to God's sovereignty and His justice both lead them to teach false things and lead them headlong into the very judgment that those verses talk about. Um, So we can be sure. Now let's get to His conclusion, which we already read, right? Uh, His conclusion. How do we combat this? How do we deal with these people? What do we do if they're all in our church and they're getting worse and worse and worse as time goes on. So, first of all, he instructs us, instructs us on how to maintain faithful truth in the face of falsehood. And what's, 
the first thing that's interesting to me about uh, what he tells us to do is what he doesn't tell us to do. He does not tell us that we need to silence these false teachers out in the world or in the church. He doesn't tell us that we need to clear them all out of our church. Although we certainly, for that latter part, when we know they're there, we should certainly try to do that. You can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is where I would go if you want to read up on, on what most people call uh, church discipline. Um, I, I personally think that's a bad phrase. Uh, that's not the way it's taught. It's not the purpose of what those... When we remove a person from the fellowship, it's not primarily to discipline that person. We should be calling it church purity. That's what it's about. And so there is a time, Peter doesn't talk about it, but there is a time when we need to remove these elements from our uh, congregation. But we can't get them all. And that's okay. Peter says it's okay. Don't worry about that. Jesus said it was okay. Do you remember in Matthew 13, one of the parables, the kingdom parables they call it, uh, was the weed in the tares. He planted good, the, the farmer planted uh, the wheat, and at night an enemy came and, and sowed weeds, tares, among it. And so the, the, the point was, you can't go in and take the tares out right now. You'll, you'll plow up the wheat as you do it. Wait till the time of the harvest. Then get the tares out before the harvest. And so he's saying, they're going to be there. They're going to be there. You have to learn to live with it. Do what you can, but you have to learn to live with it. Look at, um, look at what he does tell us to do in combating these things. Uh, chapter 3, verse 11. Since all these things are to be just destroyed in this way, he's talking about the earth being judged by fire. What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and holiness? And then verse 14, look what he says. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, the judgment by fire, be diligent to be found spotless and blameless by him at peace. A couple of main points here. Uh, first of all, the very first line of defense against the falsehoods is your own spiritual health, your own knowledge. He'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, so I won't talk about it now. Um, but one thing, that, one important point to note here, it's kind of something that you infer from what he said so far. But notice how false teaching and immorality usually go hand in hand. They usually do. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, as we already read back in uh, chapter 3, verse 3, uh, they are following after their own lusts when they teach these falsehoods. So in other words, many, if not most, false teachers get their false doctrines as a, as a means of justifying their sin. That's why they do it. Uh, and when they teach others and others listen, they lead others into sin. And so false teaching and immorality go hand in hand. And so one of the first things Peter tells us is you be careful about your own spiritual health. Don't fall into those things because you're going right where the false teachers are leading you. 
Um, and it, it, the thought struck me this week, you know, what, what happens when, and we look at the world around us today, what happens when we reject the immoral teachings of these kinds of people? They come out of the woodwork. They become obvious. If they snuck in and, they're, and it's hard to tell who's who, it suddenly becomes obvious when you challenge their immorality. They get uh, defensive and angry and vindictive and loud, and suddenly their, you know, their, uh, their mask is taken off. And so simply by being the kind of people God called us to be, it rubs them the wrong way and they become obvious. So that's one of the first lines of defense. And the next thing he says is to watch and pray for Jesus' coming. Because that's going to usher in all these judgments that he's talked about. Look at uh, chapter 3, verse 12. He tells us to be looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and so forth. Looking for. We are anticipating it. Hastening. Now how in the world can I hurry it along? How can I make that day get here sooner? All I can think is to pray. We should be looking for it and praying that it will come. And I think there's scripture there. Jesus himself, what did he say when he taught his disciples how to pray? Thy kingdom come. We should be praying for that. Hurry it along. And the judgment will come with that. And all this will be dealt with. Your kingdom come. So don't be frustrated that God seems to delay his judging of these people and to delay wiping out the corruption and false teaching. He makes that point. He knows the timing. We can pray for it to be sooner, but he knows when it will happen. And he makes the point. Look at uh, verse 15. And Peter tells us, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. What does he mean? Why is God patient? Why is he putting off the judgment? It's to give more people a chance to turn to him it's his mercy at work when he delays and he delays we see it as delay to God it's his patience there are people who need to hear the truth and guess who's supposed to tell them that's right you and me um, if you go to Jude's discussion of this Jude finishes up his book also Jude's is in more of a, a logical order he gives his conclusion at the end and what he tells us to do in his conclusion is even more uh, explicit than than what Peter does he says this is in Jude the 22nd and 23rd verses he says speaking about these false prophets or false teachers have mercy on some they're among you have mercy on them you don't hate them. You're not constantly trying to figure them who it is out, you know, and so you can get rid of them. Have mercy on some who are doubting. There are some who just aren't completely sure what they believe, and we need to help them. Have mercy on some who are doubting. It says, save others, snatching them out of the fire. There are some that are on the brink, and we need to be watching for that, not so we can kick them out as our first move so we can save them out of the fire that's our job that's how we respond to these people and then finally Jude says uh, and on some have mercy with fear 
hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. In other words, be careful as you do this because you can get sucked in. You want to try to turn them to the truth, but be careful because you too are a fleshly person. Um, so, be attentive to your own spiritual health. Look at, the, uh, at verse 18, the very last verse. It says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Je and Savior Jesus Christ. Growing in grace is a big subject, but at the very least, it means becoming ever more um, aware of what God has done for me and letting that drive who I am. Uh, and then growing in knowledge. Uh, we, we haven't looked at it today, but that word knowledge or some form of it occurs 16 times in this little three-chapter book. Study to show thyself approved unto God, etc., Learn the scriptures. That's how you deal with it. Uh, when, you, when you know the truth by experience, the falsehood stands out like a sore thumb. Uh, and so forth. So, shore up your own spiritual health and Christian disciplines. Remember what we read back in our key passage, chapter 1. Let's look at verse 10 again. For as long as you practice these things... You'll never stumble. You'll never fall. What are those things again? Let's read ver or look at verses 5 through 7 again. Moral excellence. Clean up your own life. Knowledge and self-control. That means study the word and let it drive your conduct. Perseverance in godliness. Make those things the habits of your life. Brotherly kindness and love. You will affect those people, those false teachers. You will lead them in the right way. Um, if you do those things, you'll never fall. So, there's my overview of Second Peter. Um, there's a lot more in Second Peter. That's your homework. Uh, so we've just we just bounced across the top, but we live at a time in a time when some of us get very frustrated at what can I do about this. And sometimes I need to just take a deep breath and know God's in control and those people need God.